I'm Marco Werman, and you're with The World. We're a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH here in Boston. The Nigerian military has been touting its recent successes against Boko Haram. Officials say many of the thousands of women and girls who had been held hostage by the militant group have been freed. But that is not the end of the story. As the Washington Post's Kevin Sieve puts it, there have been few joyous family reunions for these victims. I spoke with him earlier today via Skype. Start, if you would, by telling us about two young women you met, one now 15, the other 25, Hamsatu and Halima. What did they tell you about their capture and uh, the conditions they were living in? Yes, yeah, so Hamsatu and Halima are from a city called Bama in northeastern Nigeria, a city of about 350,000. In September 2014, Boko Haram fighters came to the city, killed probably hundreds of men, and kidnapped at least dozens of women, including Hamsatu and Halima. They took them to the Sambisa forest, put them in very small huts, where for about seven months they were used as sex slaves, and almost every day they were raped. Hamsatu was 25 years old. She became pregnant about two months into, into captivity. You know, they were just kept there in these huts for seven months. They didn't know if they were going to be killed because they'd seen so many people just shot at that point. They tried to escape. Hamsatu tried to escape five times. Each time she was caught by Boko Haram guards and brought back to her hut and then, again, just violently raped. And then about seven months into captivity, the Nigerian military staged this big, what they call, rescue operation. But it was incredibly violent. The Nigerian military burned down a number of huts while the women were still inside. They were shooting wildly. A number of the women who were held hostage by Boko Haram were actually either killed or disappeared in the process of this rescue operation. But Hamsatu and Halima luckily survived. They were taken by Nigerian soldiers to what's called a displacement camp, but is, is really just a series of abandoned buildings in the middle of the Nigerian desert, so just scorching heat. And they realized, you know, not long after being taken out of captivity that they were not seen as victims. They were seen as suspects. They were seen as members of Boko Haram, affiliates why did of this they, terrorist organization. Why were they approached in that kind of attitude? In part, um, it stems from a sort of traditional belief in northeastern Nigeria that after spending so much time with militants, after being raped by militants, that they have a sort of bond or a sort of sympathy for the terrorist organization, which is obviously very hard for, for lots of us to understand because these are women who are being victimized and not necessarily you know, sympathetic. But that is part of that is a traditional belief. And the other part is that sort of inexplicably over the last two years, many, many women and girls have been used as suicide bombers in northeastern Nigeria. And it's unclear exactly how they're coerced, whether some people say they're drugged, some people say they're brainwashed, some people say, you know, they're given the choice of either being either being shot or strapping themselves with explosives. But for whatever reason, almost 50% of the suicide bombers in Nigeria in 2015 were women. Of those women, almost half of them were girls under the age of 18. So the Nigerian military now, when they see female victims of Boko Haram, they sort of immediately suspect, oh, well, this, this woman, this girl could be a suicide bomber. Um, and they're treated as such even after they're vetted, even after they're going to counseling. There's almost no way that they can prove their innocence. And so, you know, Halima and Hamsatu have been free for about a year now. You know, they're just living in this very small tent 
where they never get enough food, you know, Hamsatu is raising the child of her rapist. And the psychological counseling that the Nigerian government is providing, is that adequate? No, it's it's certainly not. I mean, Hamsatu and Halima go to a counseling session about once a week. The person who is leading the session is herself a victim of Boko Haram, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think she she shares the experience. She knows the right questions to ask, but she's not a trained counselor. She's not a trained therapist. She's just a young woman who, like the rest of these victims, is trying to sort of work out what to do with the rest of her life. Beyond that, there's really no psychosocial support accessible to these women. I mean, the way the Nigerian military rescued these girls, too, and you, you mentioned this earlier, it, it really doesn't sound as if they understand fully what these women and girls have been up against. Is the Nigerian military really deeply engaged in this fight against Boko Haram and getting these young women out? I don't think that willingness to fight the insurgency translates to a real recognition of the human rights conditions in the area. And so, you know, the the fighters are certainly more active than they were two years ago. But I think the entire war is seen strictly in security terms and not at all in terms of massive humanitarian crisis that it really is. I mean, we're talking about more or less three million displaced people and the Nigerian military isn't really concerned about displacement as much as it's concerned about defeating Boko Haram in some kind of military sense. Washington Post reporter Kevin Seif speaking with us from Mogadishu about his recent trip to northern Nigeria. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. One note to add, we reached Kevin in Mogadishu, Somalia, in East Africa, where he's reporting right now, and that quickly became part of our Nigeria interview with Kevin. In 2014, Boko Haram came to Bama, killed probably hundreds of men. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. What was Uh, that? That was a gunshot. Are you okay? Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm just in Mogadishu, so there's random gunshots sometimes. Uh, It's fine. But if you wouldn't mind, can I take the question again? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did take the question again, and that's the interview you heard earlier. But at the end of our chat, I had to ask Kevin about that gunshot and about the level of violence in Mogadishu. Here's what he told me. You know, there are lots of guys with guns. I'm not sure. I suspect it was just someone messing around. But actually, I mean, Ogadishu is an incredibly tense place at the moment. The president's villa yesterday was mortared quite seriously. So who knows? I hear some guys talking now, and it sounds like they're laughing. So hopefully it's not too serious. It's all part and parcel, Kevin Seif told me, of reporting from a war zone.